And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Joshua Wall walks in, got the one Major Junior. This is Logan Stankoven. I play for the Cowboys Blazers. Hey, it's Matt Potter from the Guelph Storm. This is Axler LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Natai Gauthier. I play for the Quebec Ramparts. Hey, guys. This is Ty Nelson from the North Day Battalion, and this is the Pipeline Show. NCAA. This is Ryan McAllister for the Western Michigan Broncos. This is Wyatt Kaiser from Minnesota Duluth. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. The NHL Draft. This is Adam Fantilli of the University of Michigan. This is Ryan Leonard. I play for Team USA. I'm Nate Danielson of the Brandon Lee Kings. My name is Adam Guyam. I'm playing for Chippewa Field. Hi, I'm Grayson Sochin. I'm with the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, this is Jacob Fowler, goaltender for the Youngstown Phantoms. I'm Connor Bedard for the Regina Pats, and this is the Pipeline Show. And more. Brandon! This is the Pipeline Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. That's me. I really appreciate you taking the time to either download this week's episode or tune in via Edmonton Sports Talk, Saturdays at noon, Monday nights at 8 p.m., or anywhere you get your podcast from, whether it's iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, the Podbean, iHeartRadio, any such places, I just appreciate that you are taking the time to listen to the show. The program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best. You can get it in three Edmonton and area locations. Leduc, Spruce Grove, West Edmonton Mall, or if you are anywhere in Western Canada, you can order it through their website at wilhockbeefjerky.com. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada, they will ship it to you. Let them know the Pipeline Show sent you. Your taste buds will thank you for it. Now, this week's episode, only two guests this week, and you know I wouldn't normally do that, but this week was a little bit uh, complicated for myself. Uh, without getting too heavy into it, my mother lives three hours away from Edmonton in Cold Lake, which is where I grew up. She suffered a medical incident on Remembrance Day this past Saturday. Uh, she was off to the ceremony as a former veteran herself, and we got the call that we needed to get there as soon as possible because, well, we feared the worst, put it that way. Fast forward almost a week, and she is recovering in Edmonton at the University of Alberta Hospital. Not out of the woods yet, but getting better every day. And I just wanted to say thank you to the EMTs that uh, had to shock her four times to get her heart going again. The staff at the the hospital in Cold Lake, which is understaffed, they did a fantastic job of just getting her to the point where Edmonton was willing to uh, accept her. They flew her into Edmonton by airplane, not even by helicopter. And, of course, uh, a big thank you to everybody at the University of Alberta Hospital as well. And I, I tweeted out earlier this week that there probably wouldn't be a show because anytime I'm not at the hospital, I'm, I'm just my mind is not on the show. And, and I'll be up front with you right now. I'm so behind on the news. All I'm going to be doing in this opening segment is basically telling you the standings uh, for the leagues that, uh, that we talk about here on the program. I do have two guests. They're timely talking about the American Hockey League and about the, uh, the World U-17 Hockey Challenge that was last week and uh, the coaching situation with the Swift Current Broncos. But other than that, I am really playing catch-up myself. I haven't seen any games, but I didn't want the show to just go dark uh, for 
this week, maybe next week. So once things at the hospital settled down to the point where I wasn't there all the time, well, then I found some time to actually have a couple of conversations with uh, some friends for the show. So like I said, we'll uh, cruise around and see what the standings are in uh, various leagues. We'll start with the CHL's top 10. The Halifax Mooseheads, for the third consecutive week, are holding down that number one spot. Yet they're not the top team in the Q standings, which is interesting. We'll get to who is in a second. The Prince George Cougars come in number two, and the Portland Winterhawks are three. Now this comes out in midweek, so coming into this weekend's action. That's Halifax, Prince George, and Portland, your top three. Roy Naranda in the Q is four, followed by Bay Como. Saskatoon, the first club from the OHL, is uh, the London Knights. They are ranked number seven, followed by Kitchener. Then you have two more WHL teams rounding things out. That would be Medicine Hat at nine and the Moose Jaw Warriors in the 10 spot. Now, I mentioned Halifax isn't technically the top team in the queue. By points, they're second in their conference. By winning percentage, they're second in their conference and second overall in the league. Number one in both categories, Bay Como, the Dracar. Now, they've played two more games than Halifax and three more than Ruin Naranda, but I'm not sure why the Dracar aren't the number one team. They have the best winning percentage at 826, which is pretty darn good. And they have the most points. They have five more points than Halifax. Even if Halifax won the two games they have in hand, they'd still be behind Bay Como in the standings. Not sure. Now, Halifax is riding an eight-game heater, so maybe that's the difference. But I think we are splitting hairs at the top of the Q and the CHL top ten. Also playing some pretty good hockey right now in the Q, the Drummondville Voltageur, who are 6-0-1 in their past seven and are tied for top spot with 28 points in the Western Conference. Let's slide over to the Ontario Hockey League and uh, break it down by division. In the East, it's still the Peterborough Peets. Pretty impressive. This is a team that is the defending league champions who are back for more this season. They're three points ahead of Ottawa coming into this weekend. The Kingston Frontenacs are right behind the 67s. Then you've got uh, Brantford and Oshawa is in fifth. But Oshawa, good news for them. Callum Ritchie, the first overall, first round pick, rather, of the Colorado Avalanche this past draft. He is back in action, got a couple of points in his first game of the season. In the OHL Central Division, the Mississauga Steelheads are in first place, but only one point ahead of both Sudbury and North Bay. So close race in that division, although Mississauga does have a game or two on both of those teams. In the OHL's Midwest Conference, or Midwest Division, rather, it's the Kitchener Rangers with a record of 14-5, and five, one point better than the London Knights. And then there's a bit of a gap down to the Guelph Storm, Erie Otters, and the Owen Sound Attack. And in the West Division, it's the Sioux Greyhounds by seven points over the Saginaw Spirit, the Flint Firebirds, and the Sarnia Sting. Really tight to uh, Saginaw, but uh, trailing everybody in the OHL right now are the Windsor Spitfires, who have just won four games through their first 19 Meanwhile, in the Western Hockey League, parity continuing. And I, I really like parity because it makes it hard to predict and it makes things exciting. In the WHL's Western Conference, Prince George has been the top team from the get-go, but it's close. And in fact, they have the point lead, but not the winning percentage lead because they've played three more games than the Portland Winterhawks. They've played five more games than the Seattle Thunderbirds, but they are in first place in the West, although the Portland Winterhawks, who are three points behind and three have three games in hand, are pretty formidable as well. Then you've got Everett and Wenatchee, 
as the uh, the next two teams in the conference, the Wenatchee Wild, just got Matthew Savoy back from the Buffalo Sabres. So that is a big weapon to their already uh, fairly offensive arsenal. And in the WHL's Eastern Conference, it's close at the top as well. Medicine Hat has a two-point lead over Saskatoon, but the Blades have a two games in hand over the Tigers. And it's the Blades with the best winning percentage in the conference. The Moose Jaw Warriors not that far behind from Medicine Hat and Saskatoon. Prince Albert is tied with the Warriors. So it's pretty tight atop the Eastern Conference standings as well. If you're looking for the Oil Kings, well, they are in last place in the conference. They did get a big win in Regina earlier this week, and they've got a, a tough game on Friday night against the Brandon Wheat Kings and then against those Moose Jaw Warriors on Saturday before coming back uh, from the road. Let's shift gears to the Alberta Junior Hockey League, where we're used to seeing the Brooks Bandits and the Spruce Grove Saints dominating the league. Well, the Bandits are in first place with 42 points, and it is another Edmonton area team who is right behind them, but it's the Sherwood Park Crusaders who are just two points back of Brooks. The Black Falls Bulldogs still in the conversation as well. You'd have to look all the way down to 10th to find the Spruce Grove Saints. Well, they're actually tied for 8th with Grand Prairie and Drumheller. Those three teams all tied in the 8th position. One of the hottest teams in the league right now, the Drayton Valley Thunder, who are way behind. They're in 13th, but they've won their last four outings. Meanwhile, the Olds Grizzlies are dead last, and this is this has got to be like three or four seasons in a row where they're the worst team in the AJHL. Heading over to the BCHL, and at the top, it's the Surrey Eagles in the coastal region. Albany Valley and Victoria are tied for second, a couple of wins back of Surrey, but the Eagles actually have two games in hand on both of those clubs. So if you looked at winning percentage, the Eagles with a ridiculous 938, the Bulldogs and the Grizzlies... Impressive at 722, but you can see the big difference there between those three teams. In the interior conference, it's uh, no surprise to see the Penticton Vs at the top. And league-wide, they're not the top team, though. The Eagles are the Vs with 29 points and an 853 winning percentage. There is a gap to them from them to the next team, which right now are the Vernon Vipers, the West Kelowna Warriors, and the Salmon Arm Silverbacks all vying for that number two spot. Then we drop down below the border to the USHL, and uh, in first place in the league would be the Fargo Force, who have yet to lose in regulation time. They're 13-0-1 to begin the season, and they've got a pretty good cushion atop the Western Conference. The, The Sioux City Musketeers are next with 22 points, so five points separating them, but the Force have four games in hand. So that is a pretty significant cushion atop the standings for Fargo. In the Eastern Conference of the USHL, it's a little tighter. Dubuque with 25 points, followed by Youngstown and Green Bay with 23 each. The team we're used to seeing do very well here over the last half decade would be the Chicago Steel, uh, currently almost in last place in the league. They only have eight points. They have only played 13 games, so they've got you know four or five games to make up on a lot of teams. But that dominating stretch of hockey for uh, the Chicago Steel appears to have come to an end. You know, you go back... Adam Fantilli last year or the year before, Jaden Perron, Owen Power, uh, Macklin Celebrini last year. They had some really special players. And a lot of them, actually I think everyone that I just mentioned, they're all Canadian. So the Canadian pipeline to the Chicago Steel uh, has it dried up. We'll see. Then we've got the North American Hockey League. Nice tight race in the Central Division at the top. We've got the Minot Minotauros and the Austin Bruins separated by just one win. 
Similar story in the East Division. Seems like the Maryland Black Bears have been a uh, one of the league's best teams over the last four or five seasons, and they are again leading the East Division, but the main Nordiques right behind them with a game in hand uh, and trailing by three points. Really tight in the middle of that division. Johnstown, Northeast, New Jersey, and New Hampshire. And throw Rochester in there as well. Five teams separated by two, three points. So pretty competitive in that division. At the top and in the middle, the Danbury Hattricks uh, really struggling once again. Just four wins through 22 games. In the Midwest, it's the Minnesota Wilderness and the Wisconsin Windigo at the top with 26 and 25 points respectively. And again, competitive in the middle. Chippewa, Anchorage, Janesville, and Fairbanks all tied with 20 points. The South Division, a little bit of a gap at the top. The Lone Star Brahmas have 31 points, and then it's El Paso with uh, 27. And the Brahmas turning it on. They're getting hot. They've won eight of their last 10 games. And then we step way up to the NCAA Division I men's hockey poll, the top 20, which you can find at uscho.com. Well, we talked about it last week. The uh, Wisconsin Badgers were, I think, number three last week after being number five and number 14 in weeks previous. They are now the number one ranked team in the nation with a record of nine and one. North Dakota is number two, followed by Denver and Boston College. Providence at five. Minnesota, Quinnipiac are your six and seven teams. Really interesting here at eight and nine. You've got Boston University and the Maine Black Bears who face off against each other this weekend. Cornell is 10. Then 11 through 20 goes like this. Michigan State, the Michigan Wolverines. New Hampshire, Arizona State. Massachusetts at 15. Western Michigan, Notre Dame, Penn State, St. Cloud, and the RIT Tigers are ranked 20th. Just announced by Pro Stock Hockey, the Minnesota Wild left us some gloves before heading overseas. You can go to ProStockHockey.com right now and check out the Minnesota Wilds Bauer, Warrior, and CCM options uh, when it comes to gloves. You can get that and a lot more at ProStockHockey, your online source for authentic ProStock Hockey equipment. As you know, all my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk hotline. Go to TroubledMonk.com shop. See what they have in inventory right now because it does change frequently. But at this time of year, if you are a Red Ale fan, then I recommend the Rebels Red. The one product of theirs that I haven't tried yet that I'd really like to is the Cranberry Hard Iced Tea. I've had the original. It's fantastic. But every once in a while, I like to mix it up. I like to try the Cranberry Hard Iced Tea, the troubled tea. There are ways you can place an order online. The instructions for that are right on their website. They'll tell you where you can go to pick up those orders after you've placed them online. Or heck, you can just go to your local Alberta liquor store. And if they don't have the specific Troubled Monk product that you want in their inventory, you can ask them to bring it in for you. Okay, let's get to this week's guest list. And as I, and as I mentioned, just two guests this week. The first conversation is with Sean Mullen, former voice of the Swift Current Broncos. So we start the conversation talking to him about what happened in Swift Current this week. And if you hadn't heard, head coach Devin Pratt has been suspended indefinitely for an alleged violation of the Western Hockey League standards of conduct. Sean, who lives in Swift Current and obviously has a past history with the organization, he seemed like the perfect guy to uh, ask about that. Uh, So we'll pick his brain about what happened there. But the reason I had actually initially set up 
the conversation with uh, Sean was to talk about the World U17 Hockey Challenge. Canada White ends up claiming the gold medal in a uh, victory against the United States, the uh, U.S. National Development Program, U-17 squad. Uh, he was there to call a number of the games. So which teams and which players stood out for him, that's what I wanted to talk to him about. And in the second guest segment today, Elaine Shercliffe, who covers the American Hockey League for the Full Press Hockey Network, wanted to get an update on the AHL. Some of the teams that you should know about, some of the individual players that are uh, standing out so far. Obviously, she's in the Cleveland area, so I had to talk about Trey Fix-Wolanski of the Cleveland Monsters, who's having another fantastic year at the AHL level, and we are complaining. We are saying, why is he not getting a call-up to the NHL? Well, the day after Elaine and I had that conversation, he does get recalled by the Columbus Blue Jackets. So it's a fun conversation, good stuff with Elaine as usual. I think you'll enjoy both guest segments this week. Let's get right to it. Sean Mullins going to recap the U-17s and talk about the coaching situation with the Broncos. He is up first here on the Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. We'll be right back. Up down to DeBrus, gains a Tiger line, shoots, scores! Jake DeBrus does it again! Hey, it's Jake DeBrusque of the Swift Current Broncos, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Done, buddy. Want to come over and watch the game? I'll make a big salad. Uh, I don't know, man. Steve, come over and watch the game. I've got a massive salad here. Yeah, my wife needs me to go shopping with her. Mike, want to watch the game and eat salad with me? Who is this? Did I mention I've got a bunch of Will Hawk beef jerky, too? I'll be right over. I'm heading over now. I'm already at your front door. Will Hawk beef jerky. Because you don't win friends with salad. Will Hawk is the home of Alberta's best beef jerky. In Leduc, Spruce Grove, and West Edmonton Mall. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Hello there. Hey, we're back on uh, The Pipeline Show uh, again. I'm Kind of an abbreviated edition of uh, the program this week for uh, for reasons I will explain uh, in the opening segment, or I have explained in the opening segment. Anyway, we're going to get to my first guest uh, right away, Sean Mullen, who was uh, broadcasting games uh, out in uh, in PEI, uh, the World U-17 games. Uh, they were, of course, on the Hockey Canada website, uh, but uh, broadcasting for HN Live. Uh, Sean, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm doing great, Guy. Uh, thanks for having me on. Good to talk to you. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. And actually, there's been a lot I've wanted to talk to you about over the last little while. But let's focus on the U-17. But first, the breaking news out of Swift Current, uh, where they have, well, they've made a coaching change. Uh, maybe I'm playing catch up on all the news. Uh, you're a little bit closer to the, Well, you're a lot closer to the, uh, the situation than I am geographically. But I know you're away as well. Uh, what are you hearing about what's happened here with the Broncos? So, yeah, they announced yesterday they've suspended head coach Devin Pratt indefinitely for uh, a violation of the standards of conduct in the Western Hockey League. It's kind of it's a dissimilar situation to Kevin Constantine, and that's a very different uh, reason. But a similar process that the league carries out is in situations like that. So the coach will be suspended indefinitely doesn't necessarily mean long term. Although that, that seems to be the impression that, that people have when they hear it. But they'll do an investigation 
and then they'll rule and decide on his status after that. So that's all it definitely means is that they just don't know yet. Right. So um, with Kevin Constantine, the league came back and said that uh, he was not going to be reinstated. So he got let go by Wadashi at that point because can't have a coach that can't coach. Right. Um, in, in this case, we don't, we don't know what the degree will be of uh, any kind of future punishment. So, the Broncos can't take any more definitive action yet, unless they just chose to, right? Um, so in the meantime, while the investigation is going on, Ferris McEwen uh, is taking over head coaching duties. And he's a first-year assistant coach with the club. They've got some some good assistants that can help him out. Um, Terrace does have some head coaching experience in junior A, uh, where he coached, I think, the Winnipeg Blues it was, or whatever the program was that was also owned by the Winnipeg ice at the time. And then he was an assistant on the bench in Winnipeg last year. So he has certainly some experience. Uh, his father, Brad McEwen uh, was, you know, has been an executive at all sorts of levels, including with hockey Canada, and with the, the Swift Current Broncos. He was their general manager back in the day. So he's got some history. So we'll see how he handles things, but I really don't know uh, how long this is expected to go. Mm-hmm. You know, the league will, will do their due diligence, and at that point, we'll know whether it's going to be something more permanent or whether it's more long-term or whether it's just, a, you know, a few weeks. Or I have no idea, right? And I think it's hard to analyze the situation until we know what the, the termination is the league will make after their review of it. Um, I guess, you know, what happened was, and I haven't seen it, I haven't asked to see it, but I know a number of people who have because there are cameras in a lot of ranks now, right. That you can subscribe to and then go and review what happened over a certain time. Okay. And so people could go on these cameras and, and actually review what happened in the practice. So there, there are fans that have gone, had accounts on these cameras and have gone and reviewed and journalists what occurred. And supposedly um, De- Devin Pratt was upset with Josh Fluker after a drill and was, uh, shouting at him and then slashed at his stick and it broke in half. So that's the, the impetus for the review. Um, I haven't seen it. So I, I, again, I can't really comment on, on how the approach was. I, I've seen reactions key to me that really emphasize the divide in, in the hockey community these days, because yeah. there's not a lot of people that are like, um, riding the fence they're either condemning him and saying get this kind of stuff out of the sports or they're saying hockey's soft players are soft this is ridiculous back in my day you know that kind of stuff sure and and my initial feel is whatever i see stuff like that is that both reactions are a bit extreme that we don't have all the facts that we don't have all the contacts we don't know what was said and a lot of us haven't actually seen it you know how hard did he slash? Like, I'm not a fan of uh, intimidation style coaching myself. You know, I know sports is different than working at a grocery store, but like mm-hmm. your manager at a grocery store when you're 17 wouldn't yell at you and knock your price gun out of your hand. Right. But, right. but at the same time, I'm not a hockey coach or hockey player. I don't know all the context. I think for me, um, I want to see where things stand once the proper investigation has been done. And um, a lot of prejudging of the situation, uh, I don't think is real fair for anybody involved in it.
Yeah, agreed. Uh, there's, there's a process for a reason, and I haven't seen the video either, but I've read what you described. Um, I'm not. I don't go to practices uh, for the Oil Kings or for for junior hockey in in general. From your perspective, as the former voice of the Swift Current Broncos, and I believe the shortest tenured voice of the Peterborough Peets, we, we can talk about that in a second as well. <laughs> yep. but, um, is, is this common in in junior hockey practices? Do you think, or is this was this unusual? And I don't know. Was it the actual slashing of this and breaking of the stick, or was it the yelling, or what was said in the yelling? There's there's so many variables here. I'm not sure what to make of it, really. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, I have no idea what he said. Um, and if the language played a part in it, well, that would come out in the investigation. But I had, right. I had no clue. And I don't want to, you know, maybe it did, maybe it didn't, right? And so people are making a big leap that it was just the, the stick slashing. And at the same time, you know, how hard did he slash it? Did he give it? If, 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 sometimes the stick will hold up really well. Sometimes it won't, right? So right. if you, you know, overhand overhand somebody's stick or if you just give it a little whack and it broke like what you know i don't know and so these are variables at the same time um yeah there's there's been plenty of yelling and practices over the years mm-hmm. you know there, anyone who's watched any practice has, has seen that on occasion you read people saying oh this kind of stuff happens all the time i've never seen it but i didn't spend a lot of time at practice either because i never found you took a whole lot from watching a practice okay but i haven't heard of too many incidents of this kind of thing happening and then maybe they did and people didn't report on it i don't know right but but things change and when i see people in comments going well you know in my day no one would have cared well there's a lot of things that in sports these days that if we looked back 10 years or 15 years or 30 years that we we do care about now and Absolutely. for good reason right so i don't think that saying this was acceptable in the past is uh, is necessarily a good reason for why it should be acceptable now but at the same time um i'm i'm not going to put it in the same category as some of the violations that we've seen so i i really don't know i think yeah you no know, there's got to be nuance to things right you can't you can't say that every every violation of the code of conduct is the same level of violation as another. So, and, and that that may sound like fence riding, but I, I don't think every time somebody makes a mistake or does something that you disagree with, it's it's necessarily like fireable or you know suspend the guy for a year. You have to have just like any other, you know, if a guy just one like players are suspended for breaking rules, yep. you know, it's the degree of of how people view the violation and there's an investigation and a process for a reason. And I don't know coach Pratt. Well, I've only talked to him a couple of times. I mean, he's a, a young coach who, you know, did a great, great job his first year. And he's got a team that uh, got off to a slow start, but it's coming on strong. Uh, I, I think he's a good young coach. I don't know what his style is like with the players. I, I don't know any number of factors. I don't know what the relationships are like. And I think all of that will play into how this investigation and conversation goes. Broadcaster Sean Mullen, uh, my guest here on the Pipeline Show, uh, also co-host uh, for WHL Unfiltered, another WHL-centered podcast out there that is well worth your time uh, to listen to. Uh, I, I do want to get to the U-17s, but I have to ask you about the Peterborough Pete's uh, 
you you mentioned that to me when we were setting this up, and I, I, I'm curious. What is the story there as the the shortest tenured broadcaster in Pete's history? What happened? Yeah, I I was just joking around with you, but I, I mean, it was not the best situation. I I was uh, recruited out there when everything sort of changed with the Broncos uh, when they went that one year that they did uh, an online only broadcast rather than a radio broadcast. Right. And so then it left me without a, a broadcast position. So they uh, recruited me out there and I, I went and was hired. And unfortunately due to a family situation, literally like a week after I was announced picture <laughs> in the newspaper Jersey on <laughs> that I had to resign and come back. So it, it it felt a little like that scene in the Simpsons when uh, they brought the, uh, the, the trash, uh, the guy in charge of sanitation out and then he quit on the spot and then left <laughs> at, the, at the same time as the announcement. <laughs> but yeah, it, they, they were great. They were world-class. Uh, the, the radio station was and the Pete's and I was glad to see them win the championship uh, recently, but um yeah, all of that moving and wore the jersey and did the announcement, and I never even stepped into the broadcast booth once. Well, let's get to the U-17s, and uh, we know as it has played out uh, through the round robin, Canada White finishes dead last without a victory and yet go on to win the gold medal in this tournament. Uh, wow, I, I don't think anybody would have predicted that uh, outcome after the round robin. How did it play out from your perspective, Sean? They didn't win a regulation game but they did have uh, victories in, in extra time. So that was different. I mean, what I found really fascinating about the event, and yes, there were only the six teams, but it was incredibly close uh, between all six teams. You know, Canada White ends up winning the thing. Uh, Chechia beat Canada White to start the tournament and shut out Canada Red. Um, everybody could beat anybody at any time and at the beginning of the tournament it really looked like it was going to be team usa and everybody else because the u.s came out and won their first three games in absolutely dominant fashion they were the defending champions you know they play together as a group so it, it sort of felt like it was their tournament and after the first three games the u.s had like a plus 15 goal differential and everybody else, every other team, had a minus goal differential. Hmm. So it sort of felt like an us, you know, an us and them kind of scenario, the U.S. and everybody else. But that changed as the tournament went along. And I don't know if something, uh, if they kind of put, took their foot off the gas, because after those first three games, the U.S. had clinched first and a bye into the semifinal. But then their next two games against Team Canada White and Team Canada Red, they blew leads in both games and lost them in, in overtime. And then when they got to the semifinal, they took on a Chechia team that were, to me, I, mean, I didn't know much about them coming into the tournament. You kind of know your regulars, right? Sure. Your Finland, Sweden, Canada, U.S. Um, and Chechia, to me, were the, the surprise of the, the event. They beat both Team Canada's. They got into the quarterfinal against Finland and shut them out, their second shutout of the tournament, and got a goal late with minute three to go in regulation uh, from Big Rat, you know, a, a big goal late, and got the 2 nothing shutout victory. And then they went in there against the U.S., who beat them 10-2 in the preliminary round, and they had them on the ropes, up 3-2 in the second, and 4-3 down until 
literally 0.7 seconds on the clock, Team USA got a goal to a great play by Will Moore to Murtag in front. When it seemed like they, like literally the last three, four minutes, the Czechs did a fantastic job keeping them to the outside, pinned in their own zone. The U.S. had absolutely nothing. And it was like, I call it the PEI prayer mm. from Will Moore, just threw the puck from the corner towards the front of the net. And somehow Murtag found it and put it into the net and got the U.S. into overtime um, where they won that game and, and got to the final. But the point I'm trying to make is the U.S. were so dominant the first three games. And then somehow, maybe just by clinching the way they did as early as they did, they just didn't have the urgency um, for the rest of the event. So it, it took overtime to beat they the three straight overtime, four straight overtime games after that. It took overtime to beat Chechia. Then they forced overtime against Team Canada White, but lost that game on a beautiful goal by Cameron Schmidt. So a long-winded way of saying, was I surprised Canada White won? Not especially them versus anyone else because every night or afternoon when we go to the rink whoever was playing you really couldn't pick a winner every game was different there were so many overtime games teams would show up one game and and be totally different another it was it was a really unpredictable and fun tournament to watch that way and i know the canada white staff felt like as they were coming along through the event that they were getting better and they took a little pressure off themselves with their first two losses. They go, well, we, we can't finish first. We can't get a bye. So now the rest of the preliminary round, we're just trying to get better. We're just trying to improve. And I thought um, John Dean, who's the head coach of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, did a great job. You know, when, when we chatted, he, he kept saying, every game, despite the results, we're improving. You know, we're getting more chemistry. I like the way we're growing. I think we're going to peak at the right time. And they really did. They got a great win over Canada Red in the quarters. They dominated Sweden, who'd been very good in the tournament in the semifinal. And they put up a tremendous wall against the U.S. in the gold medal game. I mean, made it really tough on a team with a lot of offensive weapons. And so they did peak at the right time. They came together as a group. And that's the first win that Canada's had in that tournament for a long time. And I, I thought, especially given the start they had, that coaching staff uh, needs to be congratulated for the the wonderful job they did including brandon sawney who's the head coach of saskatoon mm-hmm. who was an assistant on that staff when i look at the uh, the scoring uh, leaders in the tournament william moore led the way with 12 points and you, you touched on him slightly what was there some breakout performances or some really notable individual efforts uh, that caught your attention yeah i and when i watched i didn't see in person the early games for team usa i watched on video you know again some of those numbers got put up early on right. um, when the team was having such success, when the U.S. were having such success that, you know, um, yes, they were impressive. Uh, but to me, I kind of wanted to keep an eye on it as the tournament was coming along, right? Like who was stepping up in those situations versus like early on. So like Will Moore was certainly uh, – very good um but for the u.s I, I i was intrigued by how much offense they had early and then um how much they struggled to find the net as the tournament went along it's, it's almost like teams studied them a little more or the advantage that they had 
having played together as long as they did was kind of taken away. If, if you know what I mean, like the, that the longer it went on, it didn't mean as much. Right. But uh, Ivan Kovic, who was the goaltender for Team White, did a fantastic job in the gold medal game. And they really leaned on him throughout the tournament. I mean, he played the majority of their minutes. Right. And and very good against Sweden as well. So he's a guy that really stood out for me as, as somebody who put on a, a very, very impressive performance. And the overtime winner came from Cameron Schmidt, who is an extraordinarily explosive player. I mean, the, <laughs> I was talking to Barkley Parnetta, who's the general manager for the Vancouver Giants, and he says, if you just watch him, he may have a game where you just don't notice him. It doesn't seem like he's on his game. And then he'll make two plays that lead to grade-A scoring chances and he has a goal. And that did bear out. You know, the first game I watched him play, um, I I found him a little bit invisible most of the game, and all of a sudden the puck finds him, he goes into extra gear, and it's a great scoring chance or a goal. And so when the game's really counted, he had two huge goals against Sweden to pull them away, and he had the overtime winner against Team USA. Uh, he's just so explosive and and you get a player like that that yes you know even if he's not playing his a game the whole night you have to be aware of him at all times and that bore out in the end right um gavin mckenna of course was somebody that everybody kept an eye on throughout the tournament Mm -hmm. and they put him together with cole reshney who i've seen a lot of uh from back in his u15 days as well and the, the guy just always seems to win and always seems to produce, you know, NAX with him was winning tournaments left and right. They Saskatoon Blazers won the U18 AAA league with Cole Reshney starring for them. And they went to nationals. He's a point of game player for Victoria as a 16 year old. And we all know about McKenna who's not even 16 yet and is among the Western hockey league scoring leaders. They put those guys together. They had, they had basically all the offense for Canada red in the early going. Right. I had four points each in the first two games, but they went through some adversity too. You know, they got shut down by Czechia because so much of the offense flowed through those guys. And these teams are all very good. Teams really focused on them. And, and so they had some, some games where I, I think, you know, they thought they would have more room out there, but teams really were able to take space away from them. And so they still put up numbers, but they weren't able to dominate. I think maybe to the degree that some thought they would. McKenna had a huge, huge overtime goal in a three-on-three overtime against the U.S. That was one of the highlights of the event. And, and he's so much fun to, to watch. You know, his playmaking ability, I mean, he's got a great shot, but the, the passes he makes, the vision he has, the amount of times that he would pick the pocket of a defender. So if you're skating away from him in your own zone as a D-man, you, know, you always have to watch your back because he does that more than anybody. Um, there are so many players that were fun to watch in this event. Sean, before we let you go, there's a couple of guys who have connections to the Edmonton Oil Kings that I wanted to touch on. Uh, Blake Fiddler plays for the Oil Kings, a defenseman. He was with the, uh, the, the championship winning team. Uh, not a big offensive contribution, but maybe the stats don't tell the whole picture. Did Blake Fiddler uh, leave you with a positive impression? Yeah, he played a, a very fine two-way game and I saw as the games got deeper. I mean, I remember specifically I got to call the Canada red versus Canada white quarterfinal game and his play in that game 
was noticeable on on numerous occasions, including against that combination of Breshny and Kenna that I was talking about, that his positioning was very sound. Um, he made sure to protect the front of the net. He made quick decisions in his own zone, didn't get in trouble. I mean, he just, you know, he played the kind of game as a defenseman where you don't want to be noticed, right? Where you're, If you're not noticing him, it's because of, for good reason. Right. If you're paying attention to him, you're noticing he's in the right places, that he's defending well, his positioning was strong. Like I, I thought in those ways, he was very effective. I didn't notice him from a puck moving perspective very much in this event. I think he, you know, he was very much more in, in that defensive role for Team Canada White, but you know, they're on the penalty kill. I thought he defended well. I, I thought in the moments where I noticed him versus not noticing him, I, I thought he played very effectively. All right, the other guy is uh, Conrad Fondrick, who was drafted in the U.S. Uh, uh, WHL's U.S. draft uh, by Kamloops, but the Oil Kings acquired his rights. They're probably not going to get him. He's committed to Boston University, but I notice he's one of the top scorers for the United States in this event. He had eight points in seven games, but I think a lot of them were at the start of the tournament, like you described, uh, when the U.S. was dominating. Um, what sort of a, a, a tournament did Fondrick have, in your opinion? I'm, I'm not trying to take away anything from the American players who put up those big numbers early, because they're obviously very talented. And, you know, all these teams were still very much trying. You know, Sweden had them tied at two through 40 minutes of play in the U.S. because of their, their depth and their skill. They put five on the board. Uh and, and won that 5-2, three on the board in the third. You know, they were very – it's not like it was uh, exhibition games. So, you know, Fondrick put up numbers against good teams and was very effective. And he's quick. He's skilled. The transition game that they had was very strong. It's just that as the tournament got deeper, you know, and, and – the, the game started to matter a little bit more. There wasn't as much room for the Americans out there. You know, so they played a very fast-paced transition-style game from what I saw, and, and the teams were slowing them up, were forcing them to the outside. You know, Fondrick is a guy who was around the puck every time he was on the ice. Um, they, they passed. They, they made quick decisions, quick passing plays, were always moving their feet, and always aiming towards the net. You know, so I found him quite effective, in generating chances, but as the tournament got deeper and deeper, I found the U.S. as a whole, um, you know, was having a harder time keeping that transition-based offense going because teams were doing all they could to slow them up, and they were having a harder time fighting through that, which is natural. But that affected everybody. And in, in the early going, and you could see he's a tremendously skilled player, and the results of what you see both in the tournament and just how he plays with the U.S. development team show you he would be a guy the Oil Kings would love to have sure. if they were able to get him. Always a challenge, though. I mean, how many times do you see a guy play on the U-17 or the U-18 development programs in the U.S. and end up in the Western Hockey League? Right? It, it, it's almost always the guys that are there are there because they're headed to the NCAA eventually. So um, I wish more of them would come. Sure. You know, I, I think I always wonder, and I know the U.S. people talk about this model a lot, and I think it's great for international tournaments. If, if your goal is to win gold medal at, at the U.S. 17s or the Ivan Malenka, then keeping all those guys together is logical, I suppose, or to even have them have chemistry towards world juniors. But from a developmental standpoint, 
I don't know about you, and they don't pay me to make these decisions, but if I had a player that I wanted to be at the highest level they could be at by the time they're ready to play in the NHL, I'm not sure just playing with my age group is the way that I, their age group is the way that I would want them to develop. I, I would think, you know, for a 16 year old, like your McKenna's and your fiddlers and your, your Reshnies that have to compete for ice time with 19 and 20 year olds and have to battle those level of players and, and NHL draft picks for ice time for pucks, you know, uh, have to face the adversity of those days where they're, they're not strong enough or, you know, they're, they're going to play only 10 minutes because uh, they're not as good as the, as the 19 year old out there that day. Hmm. I feel like that kind of part of their development is really important on, on the road to the pro game. So I wonder sometimes if those, you know, U six, U 17 and U 18 programs actually on an individual basis, develop those players as well as they would, going into a, a league like the Western Hockey League. Interesting uh, perspective. That's a that's a good topic to talk about. We'll have to do that again. Maybe sounds like a uh, an off-season uh, episode uh, to get into yeah. where we could talk yeah. a little bit more in-depth uh, on stuff like that. I will say for Oil Kings fans who do get a chance when he comes to town, because he will, you know, a number of times with the Medicine Hat Tigers, even as the Oil Kings are on a down cycle, if, if maybe you're going to a few less games than you normally would, when the Medicine Hat Tigers are in town, you know, we just kind of had the Connor Bedard phenomenon for yeah. a few years. I'm not saying he's going to be Connor Bedard, but he's such a, an incredible talent, and we'll only get to see him for a few years. So make sure you get those tickets to Tiger Oil Kings games. Well, that's still happening. That's right. Uh, all right, uh, Sean, what do you and uh, Chad have coming up uh, on the uh, an upcoming episode of uh, WHL Unfiltered? Our next guest, uh, and I think it might be released pretty quick here, is going to be a TSN's Craig Button who's going to join us to also chat about the World Under-17 uh, Hockey Challenges. He was there broadcasting the bronze and gold medal games on TSN and and was there ahead of time uh, scouting the players. It's always a pleasure to, to catch up with Craig, and, and it'll be enjoyable to get his perspective on the talent we saw. Awesome. Well, we'll look forward to that. Uh, Sean, I really appreciate you doing this uh, pretty much to short notice. Uh, thank you. Uh, I appreciate your time. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, Guy, even uh, – from back in the trail days and, and when we used to be fantasy uh, <laughs> hockey managers against each other and you kicked my butt. There is Sean Mullen. And yes, we used to be in the same uh, keeper league, sim league, fantasy league, however you want to describe it. Uh, and uh, it is a league that I've had some success in. I am interested to get your perspective on uh, what's happened, not just in Swift Current, but on the U-17. Were there some performances, some players that stood out for you at that event? Uh, but what do you think of what's transpired here with the Swift Current Broncos head coach, Devin Pratt? I think it is important that the system plays out and the investigation goes through, and we'll see what happens after that. Maybe he's reinstated and everything's fine, or if it's determined that he'd cross the line, then we see what happened with uh, Kevin Constantine and the team moves on. But isn't it good to know that there is a system in place and that it is being used? I think so. All right, my next guest is Elaine Shercliffe, who covers the American Hockey League. She's been on the program before, and she is going to join us courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline next. You're listening to The Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. I'm Trey Fitzwilanski of the Edmonton Oil Kings. At his own blue line now, Fitzwilanski cutting in right circle. Dances around his man to his backhand. Forehand, he scores! Oh, my goodness, Trey Fitzwilanski. 
What a move, what a shot, what a goal. Oh, mama. And this is the Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goalie. Score. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious me. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. You want to go do karate in the garage? Yup. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. And uh, we're, my next guest, we're going to talk about the American Hockey League in this segment. Probably a league we don't talk about enough uh, here on The Pipeline Show. But uh, to help me do that, the associate editor for full press uh, coverage of the American Hockey League, that's Elaine Shercliffe. Uh, Elaine, welcome back to the program. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me back. I enjoyed being on last time, even though right afterwards, like the whole hockey world shut down. <laughs> That's <laughs> so true. Hopefully, hopefully this isn't our luck <laughs> moving forward. <laughs> well, I hope not. Uh, so it has been a while since you've been on, and but I wanted to talk to you. Obviously, we're keeping tabs on, uh, at least I am, on Trey Fix Wolanski with the Cleveland uh, Monsters, and that's in your backyard. We'll get to that in a second, but maybe we'll start just uh, talking about the league in general and. Uh, since you've been on the program, uh, our old friend up here, Scott Housen, who's spent a lot of time in the Edmonton Oilers organization, uh, he's become the uh, the grand poobah of the American Hockey League. Uh, what's changed? What's How does the American Hockey League uh, sort of evolve under Scott Housen? Well, um, for one thing, they have started integrating different diversity programs into the league. Um, and they're also partnered with the like this, the CHL and the women's hockey PWHL to bring um, like bullying and harassment, um, assault and stuff to the forefront and giving them people to talk to, people to report to, mm-hmm. um, so that they can stop having the issues that we've been having in hockey. So I think that for me is like the most important um, because this league's been around forever and there wasn't really really anything like that before and then it took him a little bit and he saw that there was a need and he stepped in and started to take care of it um the other thing that i've enjoyed watching is that uh teams have to play other teams (laughs) (laughs) for for a while there you were seeing teams especially in the upper atlantic um playing each other like 15 times a season. Wow. I wish that was a joke. That's like a legitimate, <laughs> legitimate number. Um, like Chicago and Milwaukee would play each other like 12 to 14 times a season. I think they're at about 10 this season. So it's slowly integrating the different, um, different teams to play each other. Cause that also gets you, it's more people to come in. If say all if you're playing Milwaukee, right. And Milwaukee's on hot streak all year and you're just going to lose every game, how many of your fans are just going to want to, casual fans, going to want to come in right. and watch them lose <laughs> that many times a year? Uh, so I think that's been that's been fun to see, especially this year. There's like Charlotte played San Diego. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't normally happen, but it did this year. 
I, I am glad to hear that. So will will every team play in every other team's building at, at one point, or at least against each other in a in the season? Not this season, but I think that is the goal. Um, based on how Scott Housen has talked about it before, it feels like it's the goal because he okay. wants things to kind of emulate the NHL enough that the transition is even smoother. Right. Well, and part of that is travel. However, for, mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, the American Hockey League for uh, a large percentage is still busing from city to city as opposed to flying by plane, correct? Yes, there are um, there are a lot who bus from city to city, uh, some who take the train because they're so close. Uh, so, yeah, that that is a bit of a tricky thing when it comes to playing teams across the country yeah. because budget-wise, they do have a smaller budget than, say, an NHL team. Yeah. Or even some teams in the East have a smaller budget budget than some teams in the west and vice versa in, in the ahl like there's not there's not there's not a lot of pair like there's a lot of differences in in pay and what people are able to do for the ahl so that does make it a little bit trickier but hopefully he has a plan he always seems to have a plan for something <laughs> elaine Shercliffe is my guest uh we're going to talk about uh, well a few different teams one of the ones that you wanted to touch on was this is the situation with the chicago wolves as an independent they're not uh, affiliated with an nhl team this season how's that going it's not going great <laughs> it is um i think they've only won one or two games this far thus far yeah um, they lost today. I do know that they played a midday game against the Grand Rapids Griffins, who are also not doing well. Um, but they beat Chicago. Uh, I think Chicago is so weird because they do have the money to invest in the players, and in, and they always think outside of the box. But when it came to the roster this year, they just kind of went heavy veterans and um, people who were like kind of trying to find a place. who are more like AHL bubble players uh, for NHL, AHL bubble players. And I really thought they would like break the mold and do something like get a woman goaltender or um, take someone from the CHL, like circumvent that rule. Uh, Not that I know a lot of people Mm -hmm. enjoy that rule. There's value to the rule. Um, But I was surprised that when they saw maybe someone didn't get drafted, they didn't, sign any undrafted really sign anyone that was undrafted this year who was good I thought maybe they would go to one of the local colleges um, and just try to like pilfer their team <laughs> and they didn't I I really thought they would go outside of how um, an NHL team would craft the team for them but they didn't really do that and now Carolina is assigning some of their players to Chicago because those players don't necessarily want to play in the ECHL and they don't want to fly overseas to get the development. They want to play AHL wise. So it's been, it's been a little interesting to watch. All right. So if Carolina is starting to send some players there, Carolina has their own AHL affiliate. Do they not? No, they were. Chicago was the affiliate and they ended their relationship. Okay. That's why. Yeah. So it's a weird um, Carolina had also had Charlotte a few years ago before yeah. they came to, and they had like a bad breakup <laughs> and now they're like in this breakup with the wolves, but like casually sending them people almost like a relationship. You can't quit. Yeah. <laughs> so, so 
it's been really interesting to see um, because everyone's so used to Chicago doing well, no matter what's given to them. And this year they had the chance to just do everything themselves. And it's not, it's just nothing's working. And I think it does prove that you could have all like that veteran talent. And if it, if they don't have that chemistry, if they don't click with what you're trying to do, it's not going to work. So I think that's also something that it's, it's proven this season for people who like to say like, Hey, we'll get all these veteran guys, get all these captains from all these other teams. Well, if you have, if everyone's a captain, if everyone's a leader, um, it makes it, it makes it really hard to have a team because everyone then is kind of like, let me lead, let me lead. And you can kind of see that on the ice a little bit too. All right, well, if it's not working so well in Chicago, I mean, there are other teams who are struggling as well, but there are some bright spots along the way. I look at Laval, uh, last place in the North Division right now, but the top scorer amongst rookies in the American Hockey League happens to come from their team in Joshua Oua. So even if the team is struggling, at least within the team, there are some uh, positives as well. Have you seen Laval play yet this year? Yeah, I love watching them play. Um, They are one of my favorite teams to watch. Uh, I don't know what's happening, like why they can't put the wins together. Um, it, I think it's just minor things, like nothing that is too, too, like it's not, it's fixable. What I, all the things that they are going through, they're very minor and it's very fixable. They just can't seem to close out and they can't keep their temper. Mm. Like their temper is just one like fuse away, one lit from just exploding. And if they can get that under wraps and then work on some of their fundamentals um, and some of their just minor things, I think that they're going to be really tough to deal with as long as they get that done before the end of the year. So I've enjoyed watching them, even though <laughs> even though their record's not exactly uh, showing that. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you've seen the, the Texas Stars come through uh, at all in your area or if you've seen them play much, but they are having success. They are in first place in the Central Division. And when it comes to rookie scores, Logan Stankoven has been fantastic for them this year. Yes. One of our writers at our site, he covers Texas and Dallas. And, you know, just in talking to him, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll watch these games. The Central this year isn't that good. Typically, the Central is um, a team that you want, like, you want to beat people <laughs> in the Central because okay. they're hard to beat. But this season, not so much. And I thought that was going to transfer to Texas. Like, I thought Texas as well um, was like, I'm like, oh, they're probably just number one because they're playing a bunch of central teams. And then I started writing and I started watching them more because of the person at our site. And I was like, oh, no, like, <laughs> they're really good this year. <laughs> and they, they're, like, really good. Um, those, especially the rookies, they come in there. They're so hungry. I think they just turn their hunger into to goals and success and that's not something that rookies can always do. And there's multiple people on that team doing it for Texas. So I don't know if it's coaching or if it's the drive or if it's development, but whatever they're doing, it's working and they need to just keep doing it. Elaine Shercliffe, my guest who covers the American Hockey League for uh, full press, right? Full press. Uh, what's what's yeah. the actual full name for the uh, website? So it's full press hockey or full press coverage. You, you can get to <clears throat> get to them either way. Um, and then there's like an AHL section, but okay. it's not called Full Press AHL. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, all You're right. Welcome. Well, the, the team that you are, I think, geographically closest to, 
are the uh, the Cleveland Monsters. And I know I, I trade messages with you every once in a while about our uh, old Edmonton Oil King uh, friend, Trey Fix Molanski, who is having another fantastic season in the American Hockey League. He's got 16 points through 11 games. He's uh, tied for fourth in league scoring right now. Can't seem to get a sniff from the NHL club, though. Uh, what can you tell me from your perspective on uh, how he's developing in, in the American Hockey League? I think that he really shouldn't be down <laughs> down here. <laughs> um, that's my opinion. Now, would he slot? I don't think he would slot in the top six up in an NHL, but I think he could be a third third liner right. for sure. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. He's even well. He grew a little bit over the summer. He's really solid too, and his skating is just so phenomenal this he's so strong and it has a purpose um he he plays like he's six foot you know like his whole demeanor is so different than I've seen in years past and he's just consistently good this season in the past I would be worried about him because he wasn't always consistent it would be up and down Mm um and teams sometimes hold that against people even though a lot of people are up and down um, but he's been consistent every single game, and I honestly do not know why he hasn't gotten a shot. I mean, I guess this season's been a little weird, too, but for Columbus bringing people up and down. But I think if people start getting hurt up there and they don't bring him up, like, if I was him personally, I would be talking to my agent about seeing if there's another team I could go to. I know that sounds really brash, but... <laughs> it, it makes me think of Matthew Phillips, who was in a similar situation with, in the Calgary Flames organization, who just couldn't seem to get a sniff uh, from the NHL club. Uh, now he's uh, playing in the NHL for the Washington Capitals. Maybe it's just a case of a guy who needs a different organization. Yeah, I think sometimes people do need a different organization. I look at, you know, like Sonny Milano. He did well with the Jackets for a little bit, and then development kind of stalled. Um, and now he's just like he's thriving in in the Capitals organization. You know, it, going to another team is not bad. Um, going to another team and not doing well, that's not great. <laughs> but yeah. going to another team when you need a change of scenery is, I think, is good for a player. Um, I, I kind of feel like they also maybe are harder on him than most of the players for some reason. I feel like there's more standards for him because I feel like he keeps doing and fixing whatever they want him to fix. And then they keep moving the goalpost. Mm. And it's just, at what point, at what point do you get defeated by that? And he hasn't gotten defeated by that. So that's huge props to him on his, his mental wherewithal to not be defeated by the amount of times they keep pushing that goalpost back. I wanted to ask you about a couple of goaltenders as well. And I'm, I look at, say, like the Hartford Wolfpack right now, who are first place in the a- Atlantic Division and just lost their head coach. Maybe I could ask you about that. Chris Knobloch, now the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. And he's been in Hartford for the last four or five seasons now. D- did you get a feeling this is a guy who's about to take that next step and get a shot as a, a full-time head coach in the NHL? The vibe I got from everyone in like other writers and players who have been in and out of Hartford is, wow, (laughs) they had no clue that that was happening. I mean, eventually, yeah, he would one day be an NHL head coach or in in the NHL, but for it to happen, like, hey, this guy got fired, and guess what? Bye. (laughs) And then they had a a game that day. (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) 
it was the most minor league sort of madness thing I'd ever experienced to, to watch is like, wow, the call-ups don't just, it also reminds me that the call-ups that are so yeah uh, frequent, they don't just happen to the players. They happen to coaches too. And when it's your time, I guess it's your time. I mean, I can't imagine how hard that might've been though, as a coach during the season and being like, Hey, this is your shot. And you're like, oh, my team's doing well, but also I have this shot to, I mean, they're, it's the Oilers. Yeah. It's not like, it's, I mean, nothing against like Vegas or Seattle. Or it, it's, it's the Oilers. It's a, it's a team that's been around for a while that Wayne Gretzky played for. Like mm-hmm. to have the opportunity to be a coach for that, you have to take it. But I don't think any of, any of us expected it to happen like that. You know, once we heard, they let him go. Everyone was like, oh, I wonder who's going to be coach. And then it was like, oh, <laughs> I guess we know now. Yeah. What I was going to ask you about the uh, the Wolfpack in particular, and I, actually by extension the Calgary Wranglers too, they're both leading their division, and they're both doing it with uh, a platoon system with their goaltenders. The uh, Wolfpack, uh, Louis Domingue has played five games for them, and uh, Dylan Grand has played seven games for them. They both have phenomenal numbers. And similar situation in Calgary, where Dustin Wolf continues to do Dustin Wolf things uh, with his stats, and Oscar Dansk is suddenly reborn here in the American Hockey League uh, with the Calgary Wranglers. He's played five games and has unbelievable numbers as well. Is this a product of these are goalies playing in front of or behind very strong defensive systems with these teams, or are these teams having success because these goaltenders are standing on their head? I think it's actually both. To be honest, in Calgary, I think it might be more on the side of the goaltenders. But for the most part, I think these teams are just pretty solid in in those in those areas in defense and um, and goaltending. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is really nice to see Oscar Tansk be revived. He I, he kind of like went away, you know. He kind of yeah. went away, and he didn't seem like super confident. And now he. He's just doing so well, (laughs) doing so well. And it's another case, I think, of like change of scenery when you have different coaches or different, um, different players playing with you. It, it makes a, it makes a big change. Um, Hartford, they're, they're just fun. Like those goals, I, I wish more teams could do the tandem like that yeah. where they just kind of rotate back and forth and they were still winning games. Cause I think it adds a different element to the game. Um, when the monsters did that in the past where they're constantly rotating, it also meant that there were different lines out there. There were different defensive pairings there, because each goaltender has a different pick and players have to kind of play to that and vice versa. So it gave like a more strategic element to the game and, I think some players thrive under that more than others. And it feels like the defenders for Hartford, like thrive under that kind of dynamic of, I have to play this way with this one. Like I can sit on the crease with this goaltender, but I can't sit on the crease with the other one. Right. Like that. It's kind of, I feel like some of them are just having fun playing hockey again as defenders because of that dynamic. Well, I saw uh, Matt Sogard from Belleville called up recently. I think he's with the Ottawa Senators right now as we're speaking. It's it's a Wednesday. Things can change so quickly. Uh, by the weekend, he might not be uh, at the NHL level. And uh, Jesper Wallstead uh, in Iowa having a, a very strong season. 
who knows how long it'll be before he's up in the NHL. Are, are there, whether it's goaltenders or skaters, are there players who have uh, stood out for you this year that have really caught your attention that we haven't talked about yet? Oh, man. Um, you know, honestly, like, I'm, I'm just going to say goaltender-wise, <clears throat> there's a lot of goaltenders that I don't understand why they're down in the AHL oh, this like season. Who? Um, well, definitely Jesper Wolstead, for one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I know Matt Sogard needs some time to cook, maybe. But after watching him play against the Monsters, like, he just... He can see through traffic really well. He sees and, over the traffic. He's six foot seven. <laughs> yeah, right. Like he, he, but he, also, he, he's just, there's something about the way he plays and it's almost, I don't want to say magical. That's probably too flowery yeah. of a word, but I get enamored with watching him play because of the way he does things. It, it's just, it feels different and he's quick. Um, he does need some help from his defenders sometimes to like, uh, when it's a little bit further away the play, but if people are coming at him and rushing them, mm-hmm. if him he's he doesn't care. In the NHL, they rush all the time, and I don't. I like. I hope he gets more of a chance to stay up there. Um, so it's just it's been interesting to watch. There's player wise, there's not a ton that are sticking out to me like skater wise because it's so early in the season. Okay. And I know every time I start talking about how good a player is doing, <laughs> then something happens and they just get <laughs> get really bad. Um, what, I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, but from Abbotsford, um, Arsheep Baines. Yes. He's been really fun to watch. Um, he's just like right above Trey in the point standings. And he, he's just not someone people typically talk about. So, um, but he's like a playmaker. Like he, he orchestrates the plays. Like that's why he has so many assists. He has 14 of them. And he, he's like a composer, and I enjoy watching people that are like that. Um, I hope that they have a good eye on him mm-hmm. up top to see where he can slot in in the NHL because I think there is definitely um, some team could use a composer like him. Well, and he's a feel-good story, too, uh, not drafted. He was outstanding in the Western Hockey League with the Red Deer Rebels and then got a a pro contract out of it and uh, playing close to home now. So uh, he would definitely be a feel-good story for sure. Elaine, this has been terrific. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this uh, kind of semi-short notice uh, just for the benefit of the listeners. We were going to do this last week. You were sick, and then we were going to do it this week, and my mom got sick. Uh, and so we've been kind of making it up as we go here. But uh, thanks for being flexible and, and making time. Oh, always. I'll always make time for you. It's always enjoyable. All right. There was Elaine Shercliffe with a uh, look at some stories and topics from the American Hockey League. And interestingly enough, somebody must have been listening to our conversation uh, because since Elaine and I had that discussion, Trey Fix Wolanski has been recalled by the Columbus Blue Jackets. So uh, best of luck to uh, Trey. It uh, looks like he is going to be playing on the third line uh, tonight, which would be Thursday. So most people will get this episode of the Pipeline Show on uh, Friday. So that first game will already be in the books. Hopefully it went well, and he continues to get an opportunity at the NHL level. It looks like he's probably learned as much as he can learn at the American Hockey League level. So whether it's with Columbus or somebody else, uh, hopefully he stays in the NHL. All right, that's going to do it for this week's uh abbreviated version of the pipeline show i mentioned that my mom got sick 
Uh, she is still at the University of Alberta Hospital, but progressing, doing better. So what that means for next week, I'm not 100% sure yet, but if I was able to do uh, a short version of the Pipeline show this week with a couple of guests, I imagine at least I'll be able to do the same next week, if not more of a regular show. But I want to thank both Elaine and Sean Mullen for being able to uh, do this on pretty much short notice. I mean, I I was set on not doing an episode this week. Things kind of settled down at the hospital, and it looked like I would be able to have a little time during the day. I go in the evenings to sit with her. She's got other guests during the day, so it's kind of worked out. You get into a a different bit of a routine sort of thing, so we'll see if that is able to continue. Now, normally, this week it didn't happen, but normally all the guests that you hear, all the interviews, you'll have early access to those by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash the pipeline show. Didn't happen this week because of circumstances, but normally that is the case. And if that's something you'd be interested in, go to patreon.com slash the pipeline show. Over 800 archived interviews now available instantly. And if you just want to try it, check it out and see if it's uh, right for you. You can do so for a week, seven-day free trials available too. But with that, we're going to close out this show. If you're listening at Edmonton Sports Talk, we'll keep listening because there's always something going on. Of course, the Oilers are making news this week. The Oil Kings got a big win in Regina earlier, so always something happening that uh, you'll want to stay on top of. Thanks to Dusty and Lieutenant Eric and Matt Iwanek, Tom Gazzola, all the co-hosts and guests that they have on throughout the day. Edmonton Sports Talk where you can hear the Pipeline show on Saturdays at noon and Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Sometimes that gets bumped around a little bit, depending on what's happening, largely with the Edmonton Oilers schedule, which is understandable. It's one good thing about having the Pipeline show done on uh, Fridays. They can kind of move it around because it's not like I'm actually in their studio uh, doing the show live. So a little flexibility that way. And also in a situation like this week where it's not an hour and a half or almost two-hour episode, they're able to plug and play it wherever it fits for them but with that it's time to move on all right between now and next week i hope that you have the opportunity to watch some junior college hockey so that we can talk about it right here on the pipeline show it's brought to you by wilhock beef jerky and my name is Guy flaming have a great week everybody see ya